Energy. Energy, energy, energy. <laughs> Did you just say Rochelle Obama? Michelle. Michelle. Okay, because I thought you said Rochelle Obama. I know right? I have a thick accent. <laughs> What's your name? Sarah. <laughs> I can't really say how it affected my career. I'd be kind of guessing, but I... I always had an inkling that it didn't make things particularly easy for me. <laughs> <laughs> Just had a hunch. Um... I use my fake name. <laughs> What's your fake name, Sally? Sally. How are you? You're looking positively glowing again. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> You're an idiot. Guess who's here tonight? Who's here? She's sitting beside you. My sister. <laughs> I can't see anyone. You're an imaginary sister. Hi, doll. How are you? <laughs> she doesn't want to talk because she's got, she's also poorly. So, um, yeah, she doesn't want to talk. So she's not, she's just going to watch us. She's actually marking Sarah's performance tonight. So, <laughs> You might not see you next week. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Sorry. you've been warned. Hey, Sarah, this week we're talking about religion. Do you know that? No, I just walked in and I'm just like, what are we having tonight? Well, because, you know, a couple of weeks ago I interviewed Dr. Peter Catt, the very reverend Peter Catt from the St. John's Anglican Anglican Cathedral in Brisbane. Um, Is he he not a doctor? He is, but I don't think that is part of his name. And he's the very reverend... If it is, I apologise, Peter. Um, well, he would have worked hard for those qualifications, so give the guy something. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, I just call him Peter. Um, <laughs> um, so we had a talk um, because religion fascinates me. I think it fascinates you as well a little bit. I know you get some guilt stuff. No. Going. You totally have guilt. I do not have guilt. You have some guilt. Oh, you have more guilt than I do. Do you remember when we went to the church in Sunnybank and the one that had the bleeding Jesus? Well, we went down one afternoon. Great. I I don't know what this weepers does. It was you and me. We went down. It was. Why would I be not Sunnybank? It was down the road from you, wherever you used to live. Oh. was. No. I would not have been in that suburb if it was not for you. It wasn't me. I think you were with Kate. Okay. Why would we not have gone with you? Then you stopped in and saw me at work. Oh, okay, right. Sorry, yeah. I know I was just someone. Um, Are you drinking? (laughs) (laughs) No, it was the Bleeding Jesus um, at one of the churches around near where you used to live. Um, I think it was a fake in the end. But we went went and lined up. Line was out the door. It was great. Yeah, so um, anyway. The... Okay, great story. <laughs> yeah, thanks. That I wasn't a part of. <laughs> no, so wish you were there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm fascinated with religion and one of the reasons, it, well, there's a lot of reasons, but I went to a Christian school and that just fascinated me, um, level of religion there. But also... <laughs> that fascinated you? You went to a Christian school and that fascinated you that a big part of that was religion? Yeah, it did. Like when you walked in, it was like, oh, is that a chapel? Like, like yeah. it was one big surprise, right? Was like, Hold Did your up. parents blindfold you one morning and they're like, we're taking you to a new school? 
Put the blindfold on. <laughs> it's a religious school. <laughs> enjoy, Sal. Yeah. Enjoy. Um, no, no. The, well, the level of because um, I know that I'd heard stories about people like talking in tongues, speaking in tongues, and whatever that stuff is. Um, so I'd heard people doing that. So that stuff fascinates me. Well, that's more evangelical. But I had a friend when I was about twenty-three, and we were. We went for a walk one afternoon, like a get fit walk kind of thing. We're walking, walking, talking. And she had struggled with religion a lot in her life, religion and being gay. And she said to me um, on the walk that she was going to be with a woman, knew that, like that she would marry a woman and do whatever, do that kind of thing. Well, not at that point. No, not at that point. It was illegal. Um, (laughs) But then she knew before she died he would have to leave repent. this woman repent for her sins. and repent. I stopped in the street and I'm like, you're going to build a life with somebody, have a family and do all that kind of stuff and walk out on them. That's the plan in 30 or 40 years is to do that. Like, and she's like, well, yeah, I have to. Oh, my God. It still blows my mind to this day. But that makes me think about how powerful religion is and how much it messes with gay people and their heads mm. so you ever did you have an up, upbringing religious upbringing no no do we don't really sort of yeah sort of mainly out of mum's guilt i think <laughs> 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 but um yeah but like we knew about it we went to sunday school and stuff and we were um communion communion a terrible photo of me at communion so you were catholic <clears throat> no we were anglican Anglican don't do communion. They do. <laughs> no, they don't. We do. We did it. Communion is a Catholic thing. Yeah, my sister's Googling it. No, I'm pretty sure we took communion. Um, you were so sure that I saw bleeding Jesus as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you got me. Um, but anyway, so this week, well, well my sister's Googling that, um, <laughs> we – um, I spoke to Peter Cat, and I find him, I think I've just said, very reasonable. Um, and a personal story is that um, when my daughter was christened, um, the church that we'd been to as kids, uh, that minister refused to do it because we were gay. And so Peter said he would do it, and it was great, and it was in the cathedral, and it was, it was amazing. So since then I've really admired him um work that he does in the community with lgbt people and you know and refugees and all the kind of work mm. that he does so i really like to keep keep up to date on sort of what he's doing um but he sat down with me and had a conversation i think it's it's great because he doesn't condemn anything he's really the way that he interprets the bible i think is is very modern it's a modern approach to it but what did you think it's modern it's thoroughly it's modern, modern. Snappy. it's thoroughly modern approach <laughs> Yeah, it is thoroughly modern. You know, this is my difficulty with it. Um, I knew you'd have one. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so my difficulty is it's about interpretation. Yeah, as much as anything is, I and guess. And it's an individual interpretation which he particularly has, but it doesn't mean it's shared by the church in general. That's where the difficulty is because it's not like that's seen as the gospel. Yeah, yeah. I, I Yeah, I can understand that because there are still pockets, large no, pockets just, of people. I don't know, my challenge with it, but then I enjoy elements of different religions as well. I'm mm. not an 
overly religious person myself, but I am interested in most religions. I have different elements from different ones. Like I enjoy the concept, uh, like I am inspired by the concept of Ramadan. Mm. It's about sacrifice. It's about remembering your place and understanding people are less often than you and that it's a period of charity and sacrifice. Mm. Like they're very valid and very important tenets for people to continue to hold on to. Mm. So I like though, uh, let's just call me a cafeteria religious person. We could apply <laughs> I, that to other areas like of your to life draw, too. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I like to draw things from different elements. Yeah, and that's, I mean, and I think that's great. And that, that's a fairly modern approach as well, I guess. Um, well, it's the only thing that I can sanely do. Because I, I did, after I um, transitioned, actually uh, started to go to the um, MCC Church, What's which that? is the um, Metropolitan Community Church, mm. which is mainly pretty LGBTQ inclusive. And... Um, no, I just found it very difficult. Why? Because it was that modern interpretation of it. Mm. And I'm like, that's great. And that's great in this sphere, but that's not how it really is in the world. And that's not how most Christians view it. Wouldn't it be just the idea that you're in a safe place? Oh, and that could be for somebody else, but I just found it. Because I have a brain. Mm. <laughs> and not saying anyone else doesn't. <laughs> um, but I'm Make sure saying... you're at Sarah. Don't at me. <laughs> I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> no, feel free to at Sally. Um, no, for me, it just didn't gel with me personally, mm. which I think is fine. I mean, and recently I've been on a bit of a Christian hate mail list. Um, well, where... I mean, why wouldn't you be? <laughs> where I've been getting some... Um, notes and letters and well not not letters like you know electronic stuff um about not written in blood (laughs) no not yet um about how the righteous will prevail and how Mm. awful i am for having this podcast and and that kind of stuff which you know just goes over the top of my head kind of thing water off a duck's back um then that made me more interested in in the religious stuff as well because i look I guess any, everyone listening needs to make up their own mind. Um, have I need to? I need to actually say that I did interview two people for this religious episode. Um, Joe Inkpin um, was the other person, and I'm going to actually play her interview um, separately. So I'll put that on again in about two weeks um, because I think they're both standalone and really valid. Um, they're worth hearing all of instead of me cutting them in and out and stuff. So yeah. Um, Looking at me like that. Okay. Fine. Fine. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, Dal, did you find out if it was communion? It's communion. Mm. Mm. Oh. I'm not saying. Oh, I'm (laughs) I'm sure it's only a Catholic thing. Note that down, Dal, in the final report for Sarah tonight. Catholic Church as well as many parts of the Lutheran and Anglican. Mm, I'm pretty sure we had communion. First communion, yeah, and we had to go and yeah, with the bread of whatever that is and the wine the that makes body my of body of Christ. Yes, mm. um, yeah, and the the wine that makes my 
he'd go yeah. red and allergies act up. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, we had to go and do like it was hardcore when we did it, wasn't it? Like we had to actually go and um, need a charger. <laughs> <laughs> My sister's scratching around in the background for a charger. <laughs> Yeah, no problem, doll. <laughs> yeah, we're just recording here. <laughs> yeah, no, don't worry. You keep going on with your life, doll. Get everything <laughs> set up that you need. Um, <laughs> all right, so everyone, you make up your own mind. Please let me know. Um, oh, Beth. <laughs> please let me know what you think. Um, this is the last time we have anyone here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and please let me know what you think. I'm really interested to know what you think. If you are going to write to me and tell me that you hate me, I want to know. Um, okay. She Boom. really does. <laughs> Enjoy. She needs validation. I don't need hate validation. <laughs> it does my head in a little bit, but I kind of want to know, um, does the Bible actually condemn homosexuality? Um, no more than it promotes or condemns anything else. Um, yeah. uh, just in terms of the context of the marriage equality debate, um, one of the things that revealed, uh, in my opinion, is there's a huge disconnect between much of the leadership of the church and the body of the church. Um, survey after survey showed that the majority of people in the majority of worshipping communities were actually in favour of marriage equality. And yet from the pronouncements of religious leaders, you wouldn't think that that was the way it is. Um, so so we're, we're facing something that's really quite complex. Um, the, I, think, I think part of the, um, the focus on homosexuality is, is historical, and I think it's peculiarly English. Um, the, countries, the countries that have the greatest uh, issue with homosexuality were uh, at some stage in their history English colonies mm. and, and because they were all established or well, the majority of them were established in Victorian times um, they've inherited the legal system as it was in Victorian times and um, that's why most of them have banned homosexuality just went just because of when they were actually founded in the law at the time. So they're the communities that are being uh, transformed one at a time. Uh, and it, I think I think the other issue that's at play is that for a lot of the Christian church as a whole, there's been um, a confused approach to sexuality per se. Mm. And the you know, huge, huge parts of the tradition actually have trouble with sexuality and sex, and that just gets worse, if you like, when uh, it becomes it comes to same sex things. But you know, the, the Bible is actually very thin on um, prohibition of male to male sex, and. Now, most scholars agree that the provisions, that the clear provisions against male-to-male sex were actually dealing with, with fertility cults and some of their practices um, a 
associated with uh, male temple prostitutes. So it's actually got very little to do, or in fact nothing to do with what we understand um, homosexuality to be. And yeah, and that's the thing I find too, isn't it? Like it's it's about the the context with which it was written. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. back then, yeah. you know, not natural meant something different to what it means now. Oh yeah, that's exactly well. The New, the New Testament is largely uh, silent on the issue, and there's one reference to uh, unnatural behaviours in Romans that people assume refers to uh, homosexual homosexual sex or male to male sex, but that that's not necessarily the case. Mm. Um, and even if it is, it's only one reference, and and you know we've got. A, Got to understand it in terms of communities struggling to find their identity and and the like. But yeah, the Old Testament provisions against male to male sex uh, included in a list that also says that your garments can't be made of two different types of fibre and you shouldn't eat prawns and you know the list goes on and on and on. Yeah, so and the idea of picking out one um, one uh, prohibition, which isn't even a prohibition of what we understand loving homosexual relationships to be is it's really quite bizarre and as i say i think it really does sort of trace back to the problem that a lot of the christian tradition has had with sex in and of itself and a lot of that stems back to sort of the dualistic approach that um, augustine of hippo was struggling uh, himself to deal with because he'd, he'd grown up in a, a tradition called the Manichees who who saw us as uh, little bits of divine light that had become trapped in this world and the idea was to try and escape this world and re- be rejoined with the light and that tradition uh, sort of as promoted the idea that you shouldn't have sex at all because um, reproducing meant that another bit of light got trapped in this dark world and so if everyone stopped having sex and stopped having babies then the light would be free to be um, you know one so it's, it's a really bizarre form of dualism that has invaded much of uh, the church and so you know the and, and also, um, you know, we face the politics within the church, and certainly within the Anglican Church. Um, about 20 years ago now, homosexuality became a real touchstone issue for those who wanted to promote a particular understanding of the faith, um, which they, they say is a biblical understanding of the faith. Um, and that, we could argue about that one all day. But, um, yes. But, you know, in, the, in, the, in terms of the context, um, these are the people who basically lost the remarriage of divorcee debate in the church. They lost the ordination of women um, mm. debate in the church. And they even lost the um, admission of children to Holy Communion uh, debate in the church. And so the whole gay... Um, same-sex marriage thing has become like the line in the sand, the, the issue that's going to define orthodoxy. Yeah. So there's a whole lot of politics in that as well. 
being the Anglican Church, going to have to work out how we negotiate. It's it's really bizarre, isn't it? Because I remember during the marriage equality, and I still have a bee in my bonnet about that. Um, you know, because the Bible you know says something about divorce. You know, yeah. and you've got all these conservatives quoting the Bible, quoting it about you know homosexuality and stuff. But yeah. you know, we don't have a plebiscite on divorce. No, um, exactly. Yeah. 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 And it it, it it yeah it really it really sort of blows my mind um considering you know i think when i think about conservatives you know they're attempting to be faithful you know to to a text that they define as you know divine i guess like um and they kind of it sort of seems to twist this they sort of seem to twist the understanding and to me it ends up just looking like you know a, a i guess a cover for um just bigotry, I guess, in the end, like just yeah. prejudice. Oh, often the, that is the case. Yeah. Um, you know, because the, the Bible is, the, the, uh, you know, at its heart, the, the problem is using the Bible in that way. The Bible is a, is a fantastic resource. Um, as I understand it, it shows people of faith trying to work out what the heck this is all about mm. and, and wrestling with it. And so the Bible. Uh, is full of what a casual observer might see as uh, inconsistencies, but they're really just the process of trying to work out what this God is like and what God really requires of us, and they make assumptions based on uh, cultural norms, and um, sometimes they discover those cultural norms need to be challenged, and so there's, there are huge debates going on within the Bible. And yeah. Now, in the end, if one is going to find the Bible really useful, I think it's firstly to see it as a huge conversation that's going on in the people of faith trying to work out what the heck this is all about. And and secondly, as a evolving text that eventually points us to some really clear, simple principles rather than a whole heap of rules many of which are, as we've discovered, as time flows on, are culturally bound and have nothing to do with the divine and, in fact, can, by sticking to them once they've finished their use-by date, can actually uh, deflect us away from God. Mm. Yeah, it comes down to really simple stuff like, you know, God is love, um, love God, love your neighbour, um, and set the, set the outcast free and break down every every division that you find, break it down and bring bring people back to a common sense of humanity. Yeah, because in my... Uh, in a nutshell for me. <laughs> yeah, and that's what, that's what I found when I was sort of researching this topic. Like, Jesus says a lot about loving thy neighbour and reaching out and helping people. And I couldn't find a lot about him condemning homosexuals to death. Like... Oh, he, he doesn't... He doesn't. <laughs> Jesus is absolutely silent on the, on the issue. Yeah, and then people people often quote Sodom and Gomorrah as the be-all oh, yeah. and end-all. What? Why do they do this? And Well, c- complete misunderstanding of the culture of the time. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the issue with Sodom and Gomorrah is that um, it, it shows... It's really shows how important it is for us to understand the cultural context in which something was written. 
Um, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in a nutshell is that um, a, a stranger turns up to the community of Sodom and Gomorrah um, and uh, he's, off, he's welcomed into the house of one of the citizens. The other citizens decide that he is not welcome and they demand that he be um, given over to them so that they can uh, gang rape him. And the gang rape is actually meant to be a sign of completely belittling the person. So it's not a whole bunch of, you know, it's not as if the whole town was gay yeah. and, and wanted to have sort of promiscuous sex with this guy. They actually wanted to show him that he was so unwelcome that they weren't even prepared to see him as a man. They wanted to treat him as a woman, which culturally was, a, you know, their culture, that was a real act of disparagement. Yeah. And Lot... Lot uh, deflects them, um, even he offers them his daughters in place of the guest, which is complex and difficult and horrible in itself. Yeah, nice. (laughs) Um, And then there's the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah because of what they wanted to do um, to the visitor. And the judgment is actually on their lack of hospitality. It's not about the... It's not about that there's a whole, it's not a gay community that mm. somehow has attracted the ire of God. So this whole story is about how if you practice hospitality, you're doing the right thing. And if you don't practice hospitality, you're doing the wrong thing. So the story is actually a criticism of people who refuse to be hospitable. It's got nothing to do with homosexuality. It's got nothing to do with same-sex attraction. There was a bunch of people who were going to be absolutely brutal to a visitor. And it goes against all the provisions that are found in uh, you know, the sort of the heartbeat of Scripture um, in those early books of the Bible are of exercising hospitality. Make sure that the widow and the alien and the stranger all get looked after. Mm. Um, and eventually, it, you know, it keeps, it's, it's that heartbeat that just carries on and on and on as the people then um, find themselves in Egypt after that and they're set free and the provision later is just that same story of you were once aliens, you were once strangers, you were once subject to persecution. So remember those who are less fortunate than yourselves. So it's, you know, that the ongoing theme is one of practice hospitality and be welcoming and be generous. It's, um, it's, for that story to be turned into some sort of bizarre story that the whole town was sort of gay and mm. wanted to have sex with a visitor is, is just a complete misunderstanding of the story in its context and a complete misunderstanding of, of um, you know, the way a group can select and destroy an individual. And if anything, if you, if you read it, I think, correctly, it's actually saying um, don't exclude the gay people, uh, practice hospitality. So, you know, the people who quote it as if it's divine retribution against gay people are actually, I think, um, promoting the antithesis of what the story contains. Those people, though, that are quoting it like that, they're, they're very loud and insistent, aren't they, like? They they seem to make a lot of noise, and I think, I mean, I think young kids and you know people like that are hearing this kind of stuff, and it's really messing with their heads. Yes, yes, 
Yeah, that's right. And, um, one of the one of the realities of our of our life is that people who hold strong strong views uh, and don't have any grey areas in the way they understand life tend to be the noisiest ones. Yeah, and that's true across the you know, everything all, yeah. all sides. Um, and the people the people who really want to explore issues and have dialogue often find themselves shouted down um, by the extremes and the media loves the extremes um, so yeah, the media loves pitting the, the fundamentalist versus the atheist rather than you know, two agnostics having a bit of a conversation trying to work out what they may or may not believe or may have made us in common and sharing their doubts as well as their insights um, and so the press the press accentuates the negative voice mm. um, that was one of the criticisms uh, we certainly had during the marriage equality debate was that you know, Lyle Shelton and the, the Christian lobby ACL were at the go-to people yep. to provide the Christian perspective and we kept on writing to the to the media saying, you know, be aware of the fact that survey after survey shows that something like 70% of worshipping Christians actually support this initiative. So, you know, please from time to time um, include groups like the Progressive Christian Voice that I um, head up yeah. or other groups that are actually representing the majority. But, you know, the press... The press just loved having that sort of um, riveted on uh, conservative Christians um, being pitted against uh, a whole bunch of positive advocates and it really painted the whole of Christianity in a bad light. And, uh, you know, because there were voices out there from the Christian camp trying to reflect that majority view, but Mm. it's not the view that gets much traction in... uh, the press and it's certainly not the voice that you know Q and A are going to invite in. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And and yet it just does irreparable damage, doesn't it, to to these kids, you know, in, in rural absolutely. Australia. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. absolutely. And that's that's one of the reasons why here at the cathedral we try to be really quite um, open and uh, promoting of our our desire to be inclusive is trying to just let there be known that there are communities that are far more into inclusion. Um, and the other thing is that, that my experience is that that's a very common thing. There are lots of lots of faith communities who are really very good at including everybody. Yeah. Um, and that's how we get that message out there is one of the great challenges. That's why it's a great reason, a good thing you're doing this podcast. Um, yeah. It's just, we just need to find as many ways as possible for people to understand that, you know, if, if anything, that view of um, the negative view against uh, gender diverse and sexuality diverse people is a minority view. In the, in, the, in the faith tradition 
Absolutely. And, you know, even years ago when you christened my daughter at the cathedral, um, that happened because uh, the minister that like, we'd grown up with as kids had refused to do it. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. And that, you know, that almost... I, I couldn't even comprehend that that had happened. Uh, at the, yeah. And I thought, you know, here's this six-month-old baby yeah. who... You know, is just absolutely the most perfect person I've ever met, yeah, yeah. and is is already, you know, because of you know, and I in inverted commas the sins of her parents, um, yeah. you know, and yeah, and it wasn't until I met you and 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 Anne, you know, and it was just such a welcoming environment, you know, for for everyone, um, yeah. and I just yeah, it, it really bothers me that it's so loud. Um, yeah. And then there's someone, there's someone like you who's so reasonable, um, and you know, I just think that, yeah, you you should go on a speaking tour or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do my best, and, and you know, there are other communities. Which one? There are lots of other communities, but the problem is the whole community can be um, the witness of a whole community can be deflated or destroyed by one person. Yeah. So, you know, you get you get one priest or minister who refuses to baptise the child of a same-sex couple, um, it's seen as if that whole community has that view. And you know, I'm sure there would be people in, in those sort of communities who'd be mortified to know that that's what was being um, done, because you know, they, they, don't know that, they don't know that those rejections have happened. Yeah, well, I remember even Mum still talks about she told a friend of hers who who goes there and what had happened, and she was absolutely outraged that, yeah. and yeah. and you know wondered how many more have been turned away and yeah, it's right. yeah, right. it's it's unbelievable, so, isn't it? And that's the that's the you know we we need leaders and you know, because yeah because they do help to focus the work, but yeah. But uh, yeah, leaders can leaders can um, I guess make it look like a whole community has a particular view. And you know, as we saw in the marriage equality uh, debate, um, the majority of people hold a contrary view. Um, and you know, there were lots of leaders. There were lots of leaders in the Christian community who decided to say nothing at all. Mm. Um, which I understand, but also means that you know, si silence silence represents acquiescence and agreement. So, yeah. You know, I was I was a bit disappointed that there weren't more Christian leaders who I know to be supporters who didn't come out as supporters, um, really because they didn't want to inflame the situation, but. Uh, when you've got the conservative voice uh, making very loud and very hurtful statements, there is a call on other leaders to at least say, I don't see it that way. Yeah, I often think, I mean, I, I still am so angry about that survey. And I think, you know, at 38, I'm, I'm old enough to kind of, you know, cop it on the chin, whatever the criticism you know, but Lucy is six now and yeah. she's at school yeah. and I thought, yeah. Yeah. oh, my God, what's going to happen? Yeah. But I was very lucky um, in that 
people were very very supportive um and of that situation and yeah the you know i think the school was aware of you know that what was happening outside and what could happen inside so you know and that was thanks to the school but that was my first fear was what if she sees something or someone says something or yeah i think i think one of the gifts of that whole marriage equality plebiscite and there aren't many gifts from it but Mm. i thought it was just disgusting that the the political class couldn't get their act together and vote for what they knew was going to happen yeah Um, but one of the strengths i think was the fact that there were so many people who realized the need for support structures to be put in place and so there was a lot there were a lot of communities and and schools because i've heard that same story about other schools um who who rallied and took proactive steps to ensure that uh, that people weren't going to be attacked just for being who they were Mm. or Yeah, and I like I know even on the day I got a lot of texts from from parents at the school, you know, just saying what a wonderful result and you know yeah. all of that kind of thing. What I didn't like afterwards was that sort of um, conversion therapy conversation that started. Oh yeah, yeah. Can you tell me about this from a Christian perspective because it just seems I cannot comprehend this practice at all. in um, in the 
church, basically because there was a whole group of people who, because they'd become convinced it was a sin, therefore it was a choice, um, and you had to help people unchoose it so they wouldn't be sinners. Mm. And, um, the, the stories that go uh, of what the stories of what was going on behind the scenes in gay therapy um, sessions are just horrendous. Um, you know, people lying. You know, some, several of the gay therapy um, conversion therapy groups were actually run by people who claimed that they'd been cured and yet were off having sex with anyone they could, any one of the same sex that they could find. Yeah, and yeah. Often, often with often with the participants of the program. So you, you can imagine the effect that it has um, on a participant who's being convinced that they're evil, horrible, need to be fixed and, you know, God doesn't love them and God won't love them until they are fixed, turning up to a program to get them fixed only to find out that some sexual predator is running it and is is using people's fragility as a way of coercing them into sex. I mean, you know, it's just horrendous and it's, it's got no, no real basis in it. Theology or spirituality or psychology was really dangerous stuff. Um, but as I say, my understanding is that the official organisations that um, were offering it have actually gone down. So there's no doubt there are a few people who are still trying to practice it, but uh, it really, really needs to be outed for what it is and declared to be something that's really quite evil. Yeah, and the the people in positions of power like that are bringing it up in conversation you know as something that could possibly be a good thing it's so irresponsible and yet absolutely yeah yeah they're not sort of being i mean they're being hauled over the coals i guess by the public but they still have their positions and you know it's not based on any scientific you know like you said like there's nothing spiritual kind of about it or psychological and yet these people are still on their platforms yep well, yeah. these are the same people that are also telling us that climate change isn't real and yes. you know, it's, it's part of a package of how they see the world yeah. and, and it's a sort of a fight back thing against you know, the world the world was perfect in 1950 and if we could reclaim the 1950s, life would be sweet again. Yes. Um, that sort of. So it's all to do, you know, it's all to do with women getting the, you know, if women, maybe if women had never been given the vote, life would be better, you know, that sort of, um, you know, the idea of women not working in the home anymore. And, you know, this whole tranche of things they see that are basically wrong with the world and trying to reclaim a previous perfection. Yeah. I'm so glad I'm not in the 1950s. I don't have the temperament. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> I don't have the temperament for a housewife. <laughs> no, no. Well, yeah, and it was a deadly time for housewives. Barbiturate mm. use was really high. Well, people, some people think, I guess it's mostly men who were of a certain age at that, you know, had a healthier time as young boys. Um, it was a dreadful time for lots of people. Mm. Uh, we've had so much social progress since then. Um, 
everyone being allowed to find their place in the greater economy and to do what their gifts and their talents invite them to do. Uh, people not having to put up with abusive relationships anymore. Yeah. You know, sort of, we've, we've, got, we've still got a way to go with that. But you know, in the 1950s, getting divorced was a real uh, trial. Mm. Um, it was very difficult and people had to manufacture all sorts of uh, infidelities to get out of bad relationships. But you know, so there's a lot of there's a lot of lot more domestic violence. A dreadful day. So you know, the things I see, I see, I see all of these social evolutionary things that are happening is a real gift in that we're actually being honest about who we are, and we're yep. being honest about who we love, and we're being honest about what we want to do with our lives, and and where I think I think people are just as generous and nurturing as they were in those days, if not more so, because we don't get knocked on the head by social or religious convention as easily as we did back then. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, I completely agree. And plus, I'm always glad about the technology that we have yeah. now that we did not have in the 1950s. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah, true. imagine not having the internet. Yeah, no, I could not <laughs> Sarah, I love that interview. Oh, sorry, you were going to say more? I, no, I'm looking at you. <laughs> That's going in your final report too. Everyone, we probably <laughs> won't see Sarah next week. Um, so I particularly like that bit about Sodom and Gomorrah because I know that yeah. people use that a lot, like they're saying that God just smited this whole a town. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't. And it is about hospitality. And if you read that story, it's about hospitality. Um and that's the thing is that people are using it as he's smiting. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like it's like he's come to San Francisco or something in Sydney at Mardi Gras time and just gone, <laughs> no, this is I'm over this. I'm like, no, that's not what it is at all. So, yeah, not being hospitable. I think that's a really interesting point. And because I know that that story. Oh, and of, maybe the fact that what's the guy's name I totally forget, the guy who offers his daughters. <gasps> is that lot? I think it is like, oh, yeah, offers I'm like, his daughters um, to be like that isn't more yeah, the think, breath of God. I know, I think I said in that nice. Um, but I think too, that story of Ruth, I know I've read somewhere that people think that that is a lesbian story, um, of Ruth and her mother in law. Um, because I think the mother in law says something about cleaving, but I think in the olden days that meant like joining as a family because you know, it's that, um, what's that verse where you go, I'll go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God, kind of stuff. Mm. And the only reason I know that is from fried green tomatoes. Yeah. So thanks, Kathy Bates. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great movie too. So with lesbian themes. Oh God, don't get started. And I just want to say, no, I do want to no, say this for anybody still no, listening. Um, if you say anything, <laughs> I heard today that Diane Gadry from Annabelle. Um, is I think recovering and has recovered from her cancer, so I'm pretty happy about that. Great, that's that great movie um, on Netflix, guys, that you can catch <laughs> called Loving Annabelle. It's really good. You also probably, maybe, if you're going to be looking for Loving Annabelle, want to look at Carol because um, that's a really good film. If you're looking, if you're speaking looking for of, a- speaking of loving people, how's your week been? Um, have you I haven't even told to Beth. Take, have you continued to? I take haven't told Beth. A lover. 
I have to tell you something. <laughs> and don't speak into the microphone like that. I like doing it. Yeah, because then it comes out and it's like. <laughs> That's the point. Yeah, but then I'm having to edit that, and also I, I shouldn't. Care. I shouldn't be I editing when I've got a cold because last week I had a cold. My ears were funny, oh and then God. I listened back to Brandy. I hope you all like that Brandy Love episode as well. I freaking still love it today. Well, you did get a dick pic. I did get a dick pic. Yeah, my first. <laughs> it, I think it was for Brandy, but I got CC'd in on it, um, <laughs> which really it surprised was quite me. Impressive. Yeah, I showed you. You loved it, but I was. <laughs> I was very surprised to get it because I wasn't expecting it and I was like, I couldn't figure out what it was first because it was looking down. I didn't know what I was looking at. <laughs> oh, good Lord. I don't see them. I don't look for them. So. Like- <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, next week um, we have a really cool guest and it's a surprise guest. I'm not telling you until next week, but I think you are all going to love it. Judging by all the letters I got. Um, the last time this person was on. Um, so, yeah, look forward to that because it's going to be amazing. Oh, it's going to be great to talk to Gracie. <laughs> what? I can't even get it out. <laughs> what? It's going to be great to talk to Tracy Grimshaw. Has she finally responded to you? No, because I thought I'd go along the trail of um, what I did with Brandy you Love. You want to be consoled after losing the god Loki. Hey. I made her a gif and uh, sent it to her on Twitter and she didn't respond. So I don't know that Tracy Grimshaw's going to. I think you're gonna... on the outer. I don't think that coffee's ever going to happen. <laughs> or if it does, it's going to be a sting and the cops are involved. <laughs> I don't think I've contacted her that much. I've contacted Catherine Brooks more than Tracy Grimshaw, so the director of Loving Annabelle, which is on Netflix. You can find it now under LGBT movies, oh, all great love stories. Want. So... <laughs> All right, we'll see you next week with our very, very special guest who I just love. So I can't wait for next week now. Enjoy enjoy this episode (laughs) while you're here. (laughs) All right, bye.